Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yeah, well, I mean, you got a little bit of the unknown, right? You're probably going to see a, a young uh, freshman running back in there. Um, you don't know. He could be not as good as those guys. He could be better than those guys. He's just the, you know, was the next guy up because of his youth. Uh, he could be the next great one. So we got to prepare uh, like it's the best running back we've seen back there. Uh, you know, and you never know if they're if they think that their uh, running game is not going to be where it needs to be. They might start throwing the ball around. They might have some some interesting wrinkles put in there. Um, obviously, they get in a lot of interesting personnel sets with multiple tackles in the game, multiple tight ends in the game. Uh, you got to be ready for all those different variations of formations, all those different variations of the run. You got to be ready for number 12 to come in the game and be a, a running quarterback and kind of overtake that wildcat role. You got to be ready for a running back to go back there and be the wildcat. You've got to be ready for the RPOs off the hard run action. So it, their offense poses a lot of difficulties and a lot of uh, intricacies that you need to get ready for on, the, on a weekly basis. That was Nebraska defensive coordinator Eric Shenander talking about what Minnesota will likely do, what it might have to do, against the Huskers defense on Saturday. Over the past three weeks, Nebraska has faced the top rusher in the Big Ten, based on yards per game, Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker III, the number four rusher, Northwestern running back Evan Hull, and the number five rusher, Michigan's Blake Corum. Blackshirts held all three under their 100-plus yards per game averages. In a more just world, Nebraska would be facing the conference's second-ranked rusher this week, Minnesota's Trey Potts. But Potts suffered a frightening injury against Purdue two weeks ago, an injury that required hospitalization. There aren't many more details than that, rightly so given the situation. But Potts will reportedly be okay in a broader sense, though he won't play again this year. He was a capable replacement for the nearly irreplaceable Muhammad Ibrahim. Minnesota lost Ibrahim for the season in the season opening loss to Ohio State. Those are just the two most high-profile losses in an injury-heavy season so far for the Gophers. There's a little mystery about how Minnesota wants to win on Saturday, stop the run, control the clock with its own run game, and from there, whatever it takes to have a shot. There's more mystery now, however, around who exactly helps the Gophers do that. Nebraska should have its advantages on Saturday. In fact, it might have most of the advantages. But Gophers are persistent. They can wreck a farm if you're not prepared. It's a fitting mascot, now that I think about how this program plays under PJ Fleck. How does Nebraska avoid that? You're listening to the IED Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor Brandon Vogel. Let's talk some football. We'll kick off the first half of the show here by talking about the line for this game. At Circus Sports on Sunday, it opened at Nebraska minus three. Um, it's only climbed to three and a half or four, depending on where you looked by midweek. The money line had the Huskers minus 180, which is a 64.3% break-even percentage, meaning if you could play this game a thousand times, 
that's how often Nebraska would have to win for you to break even. Minnesota's at plus 155, which equates to a 39.2% win probability. It was an interesting line when it came out because even as recently as, say, two weeks ago, it would have been hard to see Nebraska opening as a three-point favorite on the road. But they played well in two games. They went one and one in two home night games. And the Huskers are getting a, a good deal of credit for something beyond what their, their record represents. How did the power ranking see that? ESPN's SP Plus shows a virtual pick in this game. Nebraska this week was ranked 24th. That was only down a couple of spots from from last peak last week with a with a rating of 13.3. Minnesota was ranked 38th in SP Plus with a rating of 10.6. You do the math on that and on a neutral field Nebraska would be rated as 2.7 points better than the Gophers. Given the fact that it's not a neutral field, that it's a road game, yet you, you take two and a half from that and you're left with, well, virtually a toss-up. FPI, ESPN's other power rating measure, likes Nebraska a little bit more here. They give the Huskers a little more leash. There, the Huskers are 22nd with a rating of 10.4, and Minnesota is 55th with a rating of 3.1. That projects a line of minus 5 for Nebraska once you factor in home field advantage. Want even more? Uh, for that, we turn to the predictiontractor.com, which combines basically about 60 different computer ratings and models. There, the average line for Nebraska-Minnesota is Huskers minus 3.77, so right in that range of, of where the actual line was, was sitting midweek, you also get to see sort of the outliers. Um, there was one rating system that has Nebraska as 15.7 points better than the Gophers. There was another rating system that had Minnesota favored by 4.6 points over Nebraska. So do with that what you will. There's a lot of different ways to, to try and model football in a predictive sense. Look at as many as you can at one time, which is what the prediction tracker.com allows. And you're ending up about where the betting markets have this one. We'll get into the game itself by, by looking at some key players on both sides here. First for Minnesota running back Marquise Irving is the freshman running back that Eric Shenander mentioned at the top of the show. He was a four-star recruit. He's a true freshman this season. Um, and rivals rated him as the number nine running back in the country. Uh, he's from Chicago. He only has 25 carries on the year, but 15 of those came against Colorado, a, a pretty impressive win for, for the Gophers. They went for 89 yards, so 5.9 yards per carry. And I, I kind of appreciated how Shenander talked about him. The Minnesota's already lost the two running backs that were ahead of Irving on the depth chart. And that's the case, you know, for a reason. But that said, he's, he's a highly touted kid. You don't know exactly what you're going to get there. Um, some guys are just built for the moment. 
And it's, it's possible that he is, you kind of have to, to treat him that way. So with Minnesota's reliance on the run game, which we'll talk about later in the show, um, stands to reason that he'll get a bunch of carries. Although PJ Fleck also mentioned that they're going to use their full complement of running backs that are available. Number two on the list for the Gophers is defensive lineman Boye Mafe. He's the next in what has so far been a never-ending string of elite slash NFL potential pass rushers the Huskers have had to face in 2021. He was an All-Big Ten honorable mention pick in 2020, and he's in line for potentially higher honors than that in 2021. Mafe currently ranks third in the Big Ten with five sacks per game. And as we know, um, protecting the passer has been a an adventure for, for Nebraska's offensive line so far, which which factors in not just to dealing with, with one of the Gophers' best players, but also I think how Nebraska probably needs to play this game. So more on that to come. Third key player for Minnesota is, we're going back to the offense, wide receiver Dylan Wright. He's a Texas A&M transfer in his first year at Minnesota. Former Under Armour All-American. He's probably the Gophers' biggest big play threat. He's averaging 8.2, 18.2, excuse me, yards per catch. That's includes two touchdowns. He's only got nine catches on the year, but four of those have gone for 15 plus yards. As you look at Minnesota under Fleck, um, it's clear that they have a preference to run the ball and we'll get into, we'll get into some of that, but they've also been able to supplement that the, the really good minutes Minnesota teams have been run first, big play passing game. You think back to 2019 when they went 11 and two, and that really was kind of the approach offensively. They've done a really good job of landing, inheriting, recruiting, getting via the transfer portal, however you want to put it. Pretty good wide receiver talent there. And it's 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 a key part of that offense. So when you're watching this game, definitely keep an eye on Wright. He's a dangerous wide receiver for Minnesota. Flip this to the red side. And for Nebraska, number one player to watch here is going to be wide receiver Oliver Martin. The Big Ten loves traveling trophies. Um, Maybe that's something we've had to learn, or maybe we always knew it as Nebraskans coming into a new conference. But Martin has been sort of the Big Ten's traveling wide receiver. Both his previous schools, Michigan and Iowa, play for rivalry trophies against Minnesota. So if you're not going to pick Oliver Martin as a player to watch in this game, when are you? Um, but I, I actually think he factors into the game plan. Um, Nebraska's ability to get some tougher yards in, in the passing game, I think will be, will be big on Saturday. And Oliver Martin is, is, is one of the key guys to do that. Uh, really, you could, you could look at the receiving group as a whole and include the tight ends there. And it's going to be important for all of them. But as Martin works his way back um, from a six catch, a really big day against Illinois in the season opener, and then he missed a bunch of time due to injury, having him available, 
I think adds something to Nebraska's passing game. Second for the Huskers, uh, you can never go too far without talking about the running game. That's just kind of a, a football truism. I'm going to go with running back Ramir Johnson. I don't know that it's going to be a very fun day for anyone in Nebraska's backfield on the ground. Uh, Minnesota comes in allowing 3.97 yards per carry, which already has sacks removed from that average. But Nebraska has to still find a way to have some success on the ground. Johnson, to his credit, is coming off three pretty good column gritty performances since being inserted as Nebraska's de facto starting running back against Oklahoma. He's had 65 plus yards rushing in in Nebraska's last three games, which, you know, isn't going to make anybody sit up and take notice, but with how much Nebraska has kind of shuffled through guys and struggled in the traditional handoff run game, you'll take it. And, And Johnson, who Scott Frost said this week, really worked him way up, worked his way up from about the bottom of the running back depth chart at the start of fall camp to to be here now, has also emerged as a receiving threat. He can kind of do probably a little bit of everything to the best degree that we've seen so far from any of Nebraska's running backs. So Saturday would be a great day for him to have a great day. Third on my list of Huskers to watch, I'm going to go with cornerback cornerback Cam Taylor-Britt. He had his best game of the season last week against Michigan, which is how you want that to go. He's clearly one of Nebraska's most talented individual athletes, and you need guys like that to show up in in big games. He did. Now it'll be interesting to see, does he build off that? Because everything prior to that point was, you know, you can identify Cam Taylor Britt as a preseason all-conference type of player, et cetera, et cetera. The Illinois game with him as punt returner got off to kind of a horrific and high profile because Nebraska was the only game going at that moment. Start with the safety on the punt return. And you, you just were kind of waiting for the Taylor Britt we've seen over the past three seasons to emerge again here in 2021. And I think you saw that uh, against Michigan. I mentioned right earlier, the Minnesota wide receiver as a potential problem part point, or at least a player you have to identify for, for Minnesota, but he, but he's not the only one. Uh, Chris Ottman Bell has played a lot of good football for the Gophers. His yards per catch numbers aren't that different from from rights. So however, whichever way you want to look at it, be it Taylor Britt, who I chose here, you could also look to the other side with Quentin Newsom, the most recently minted black shirt. Um, those guys are going to have to have a good day because Minnesota is going to want to do what it does. It's going to want to slow the game down and, and try to make some hay running the football. But the kind of key to that is also hitting some plays in the passing game. So Nebraska's corners are going to going to have to be pretty good here for this to go the way that at least most of the computer models suggest. Let's uh, check the game tape, so to speak, from from last week's show and the narrow loss to Michigan. Identifying the three keys for that game, number one on my list was to keep the lid on the Michigan offense. 
I'm going to say that was a check for the black shirts. Nebraska kept Michigan below its season averages in explosive rushes, explosive passes, and that being the case, explosive plays overall. Defense was on the field a lot. You, You saw some of those big plays at crucial moments a little bit later in the game, but for the most part, I'd call that a win. Furthermore, each of Michigan's touchdown drives in that game required 10 or more plays and all covered 75 plus yards. Now, as a defensive minded person, you would just like to get some stops there. And you undoubtedly, when a drive gets up to double digit plays, had some opportunities to do that, that you missed on. But going into that game, if you had told me that were going to be the case, I would have said, great, that's, that's Nebraska doing what it needs to do defensively because more often than not a team having to go that far in terms of distance and use that many plays, there's just a lot of opportunities for something to go wrong. So you you can see a little bit of, and this is something we've talked about on the show in weeks prior, Nebraska's low I guess you could call it um, low success rate defensively. I don't mean that as a a total negative. It's just Nebraska's success rate doesn't look like what you'd expect for a team giving up as few points as it has. So this was kind of a a lingering, maybe under the surface trait for this defense is that they'll give up some yards. They'll allow an offense to stay on schedule more often than you'd think but they can get around it with key stops in, in key moments in the game. You got to tip your hat to the Wolverines in that case, because on those drives that took more than 10 plays, they were able to punch it in and, and do a good job on that front. So that's how that one went. Second key to the game for me was the Huskers needed to scheme some success on the ground. I'm, I'm calling this one a miss. Nebraska has 4.4 yards per carry was better than what Michigan's defense came in allowing. But when you look at kind of the efficiency of those runs is where you see the difference. The Wolverines went into last Saturday with a rushing success rate of 41.6%, which ranked 58th. So a little bit above average, but right there in kind of the middle of the country. But against Nebraska, they held the Huskers to just 26.7% success rate on rushing plays. So it was a pretty emphatic win for Michigan on that front. It was interesting how that game unfolded. Nebraska really made a point of sticking with the run. Michigan clearly had made a point of not letting Adrian Martinez and some of those plays to the edge beat them. And the Wolverines kind of got the the better of that particular matchup. You can ask if, you know, Nebraska's kind of resiliency, its persistence with the run game in the first half set up all of what came in the second half, which is where the Huskers got back in the game. But when I was sitting there at halftime, I was like, Michigan's, this is going the way that Michigan wanted it to, which folds into what was my third key from the game. Nebraska needed to make its checkpoints. It was pretty clear, and we've got a lot of games under Jim Harbaugh under our belt at this point to kind of understand how how Michigan wanted to do things. The approach is pretty classic, you know. Come out strong, get a lead, 
and then just control the game. And if you can run the ball consistently or even with, with Michigan, they run the ball just well enough to where it makes sense to stick with it to an extreme level. And, and that's what they do. And that's what they did against Nebraska. I don't think Scott Frost's decision to not kick a field goal to go for it down inside the five on, on Nebraska's first drive of the game changes the math here much. In fact, I, I looked at it from an expected points perspective and in the moment it's, it's kind of a wash either way when you're talking about expected points, given the way it unfolded though, you have to be curious about it. Of course, Nebraska could have most likely gone up three, nothing at that point would have been the first time the Wolverines trailed all season. And and how much is that worth? Well, we don't know. I didn't disagree with the decision to, to go for a touchdown because I thought a seven point lead on a team that has yet to trail this season with how quickly Nebraska went down the field would have been a kind of a decisive blow right away. So Overall, this game was much to to Michigan's liking. Credit to Nebraska for for battling back and almost getting there. They had a chance. They had the ball last again and weren't able to to get it done, which is kind of a consistent refrain so far from this current Nebraska era. My working theory on that is so often Nebraska has fallen behind early in games or just kind of scuffled around a little bit in the first half and you break for halftime, you go in, you make some adjustments. And oftentimes the Huskers come out and then look pretty good. Um, they really owned the, the third quarter against Michigan, but they always, they, they continue to come up short on these drives where they have a chance to go tie the game or, or win the game. And I, I'm starting to wonder if because Nebraska often isn't the better team out of the gates, um, if the kind of mental and physical energy they have to expend to, to get back into these games isn't playing in a little bit here with what we see in the end of game scenarios. I mean, it just stands to reason that if you're trailing and things aren't going well and you go into halftime and make some adjustments and then you come out and get all the way back there against Michigan, Nebraska had a lead. Um, there, there's kind of a sense of release, a, a little bit of relief. We did it. Okay. Things are back on track. And so often Nebraska's opponents have answered uh, whatever the Huskers have put together over that stretch. And Nebraska has been able to answer that answer. Who knows? It's just kind of based on what we've seen so far, seems like a potential explanation for why this keeps happening to the Huskers. That's what Michigan wanted. It's probably what Minnesota wanted or Minnesota wants in this game ahead. We'll get in more and more into that in the second half, but first let's go to halftime. Here's Rusty Dawkins with your forecast for Saturday in Minneapolis. You can follow Rusty on Twitter at, at HuskerWeather and check HaleVarsity.com throughout the week for updates. Hi there, everyone. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins for Hale Varsity. This is the I-80 preview podcast weather forecast, and we've got a really, really nice uh, day for the game on Saturday. 
Uh, maybe a little cool to start. Temperatures, if you're out early in, in Minnesota, it is October, middle of October, so it stands to reason that it's going to be a little chilly. Uh, lower 40s early Saturday morning. That, that's about right. Uh, temperatures, though, will get to around 50 degrees by kickoff and plenty of sunshine. I mean, there isn't a chance out there in the world for any precipitation. This is uh, mostly sunny for the entire game and temperatures a little on the cool side. Uh, 50 degrees by kickoff, I think by about half time, we'll be in the middle 50s, around 54, 55. And by the end of the game, I think by three, four o'clock in the afternoon, we'll try for 60 degrees. I don't think uh, I don't think it'll quite get there. So we'll just say the upper 50s uh, for highs by the end of the game, but really uh, not much of a wind, maybe out of the west at uh, 5 to 15, possibly 20 miles per hour. Uh, so yeah, sure, a chill in the air, a, a jacket, a hoodie, um, you, that's about all you're going to need. Uh, plenty of sunshine, really a pretty nice day in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the game on Saturday. If there are any changes, and it doesn't look like there's going to be, but you never know, I will keep uh, things updated on my social media channels. That's RustyWX and Husker Weather on Twitter and Facebook. And also Hail Varsity will have all kinds of updates as well uh, on their social media channels. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins. Go Big Red. We'll jump straight into the second half here with the only question that matters. How does Nebraska win this game? Key number one for me. As quarterback Tanner Morgan goes, so go the Gophers. And this is almost exclusively true in the passing game. Minnesota is going to come out and run the football as much as it can. You know that going in. It's pretty similar to Michigan last week. The Gophers' rush rate so far this season is flirting with 70%, which is right where Michigan was last week. Nebraska actually forced the Wolverines to have to throw the ball more than I thought they would. Um... And doing so again on Saturday would be a perhaps big step in the right direction. The Gophers don't ask Morgan to throw a lot in the typical game that they want to try and get. It goes kind of to that big play passing game. You know, it's, it's viewed as more of a compliment to the running game. I think the prime objective for Fleck in Minnesota is to kind of control the flow of things. So that's where the passing game sits, at least in my read, in the hierarchy here. But one of these numbers, when when looking at Minnesota's passing ability, has jumped out to me. So far this season, Minnesota's 3-0 when Tanner Morgan is above a 140 in passer rating. Passer rating's a strictly defined NCAA stat that includes completions, attempts, passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions, kind of a, a weighted formula that differs a little bit from the NFL. If you see those numbers on Sundays, but close enough, Minnesota is Oh, and two in 2021 when Morgan is under that number. Over his three years as a full-time starter, so not including his his freshman year where he kind of took over. He lost a QB battle in fall camp and then took over when Minnesota's starter that season got injured. Not factoring that in. We're only looking at his kind of full-time starter status. So from 2019, 20, and 2021, when Morgan hits 140 in terms of passer rating, Minnesota's 14-2. and two. When he doesn't, they're three and six. 
what's a 140 passer rating look like? For Morgan, it could look like this. And these might seem like pretty low thresholds to you, but just bear with me. You could be 12 for 20 for 160 yards passing with one touchdown, no interceptions, and end up with a rating of 143.7. Add one interception to that, and that rating goes down to 133, 133.7. So that tells you a little bit about a potential objective for, for Nebraska. Of course, an interception is welcome at any time, but given that the margin here is is pretty slim between a number that has produced wins for Minnesota and a number that hasn't, one interception would be pretty big on Saturday in my mind. You could also get that passer rating down below 140 by making Morgan a 50% passer, and he's 52.2% entering this game. That gets you down to the same 133.7. And those numbers I mentioned for, for Morgan, the 12 for 20, 160 yards, touchdown and no interceptions, weren't selected at random. That's about where his averages are for this year. It's where I think Minnesota probably wants to be. So you're not talking about a super high threshold for him to be effective enough for Minnesota to be in a football game. The best way to ensure that Morgan doesn't get to that magic 140 number, magic said somewhat facetiously in this case, but the numbers kind of say what they say. Nebraska has to be able to hold up strong enough against the run to force more pass attempts. Morgan hasn't posted a passer rating higher than 140 in any game in which he's attempted more than 23 passes. That's not a lot in, in today's college football. So put, put Minnesota in passing downs um, if you can. And you're probably giving yourself, giving your defense in particular, a decent chance to, to have some success. Third and seven, third and eight. Those are good situations for any defense in any game but might be particularly important uh, in Minneapolis. Nebraska's defense, to its credit, it's held opposing quarterbacks to a 116.98 passer rating on average this year, and it hasn't allowed a passer rating greater than 140 since Arter Sikowski blacked out bizarrely. I still kind of can't believe that happened when he came in to the Illinois game, the Huskers' season opening loss. Number two on my list, we'll flip to Nebraska's offense now and take a quick look at what they probably need to do. Can Nebraska stay on schedule via the pass? You've probably seen or heard about Minnesota's rush defense at this point. In fact, unless you dropped into this podcast at this very moment, you heard me mention that they were allowing 3.97 yards per carry earlier in the show. That ranks fourth in the Big Ten. It's a good number by by any measure. Outside of Ohio State, the Gophers haven't faced a murderer's row of rushing offenses to this point. Have to note that. Also have to note this. To this point, Nebraska, particularly in the handoff run game, hasn't been one of the top rushing offenses in the country either. 
In terms of success rate against the run, Minnesota's defense ranks 35th, which is probably closer than closer to the Gophers' true ability than a sub four yards per carry average is at this point. At least that's my read on it. Its success rate against the pass is also above average, 39.6%, which ranks 47th. Comparatively speaking, however, that's probably the path of least resistance for Nebraska's offense, particularly in the early stages of this game. Huskers' run game has been pretty hit or miss, as we're all aware of at this point. Its passing game, however, has been both consistent, efficient, and explosive. I guess that's not both. That's three things. But the Huskers are still hitting for an explosive pass, which is 15-plus yards the way that I tabulate it, on 20.4% of attempts. That's very good. Um, 15% is about average. Nebraska's offense also ranks, however, 37th in passing success rate, which is 46.1%, which means they have been able to not just to hit the shots downfield. It's not an all or nothing passing offense. Um, They can hit some short and medium stuff as well. That might be vitally important on Saturday. You'll take those shots downfield as well. Of course, Um, you take them every day. Minnesota's above average in, in limiting explosive passing plays. So the bigger test here might be if Nebraska can consistently hit for medium to short to medium gains, I guess, with controlled throws and strong route running. Do that, and it might be the easiest way for Nebraska to loosen that defense up a little bit and find some room in the ground game. That said, this is this is the best offense Minnesota's faced since it played Ohio State in week one. Maybe that previous description here sounded a little bit dire for Nebraska, and I don't mean it to sound that way. Um, it's just kind of affording Minnesota's defense the respect that I think it deserves. It's a a pretty sound defense that does both pieces of it, defend the rush, defend the pass pretty well. But if Nebraska runs its offense, it should be okay. It could You could hit 70-yard passes to Samori Ture, and it wouldn't be a total shock. It'd be a mild shock. Um, given how Minnesota has played to this point, but those plays are also tough to tough to count on. That's why I'm looking at some of the the shorter passes, the passes that fall underneath that that 15 yard explosive play threshold, because I think Nebraska might have to do that, especially early on, to to kind of give itself some room to work. I, Crazy things happen in college football games every week. Strengths look like weaknesses. Weaknesses look like strengths. It's completely possible that Nebraska comes out and runs the ball really, really well. Um, And this looks like the Northwestern game. Probably not the most likely scenario, however. So I'm going to be looking towards the passing game, particularly the passing success rate for Nebraska as an early kind of check on how well this offense is playing, but also just kind of how much the game is going to Nebraska's liking. So you can keep an eye on that in the the first half, really the early stages of this game. And if Nebraska does well through those, 
you'll probably see some more run later, which would be a very good development. It would be a very good development because this is another game, just like last week, where kind of game state and the the hidden parts of a football game probably come into play to a large degree. So my third key for this game is tilt the field, tilt the odds. PJ Fleck is pretty much an open book. I think everyone's uh, well aware of that at this point. He said at his press conference this week that the Gophers had to, quote, get creative to win football games. There's not a lot of coaches that I can think of, of off the top of my head that would come out and just say that, but it's quite clearly reality for Minnesota. It's what they had to do two weeks ago at Purdue. I mean, they've lost perhaps one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. Not even perhaps. He's definitely one of the best running backs in the Big Ten, uh, but maybe the best in Ibrahim. Lost the guy who came in and did an excellent job of kind of papering over just how big of a, a loss that was for the Gophers. And that's where they're at entering, entering this game. And the impressive thing about Minnesota under this current coaching staff to me is that they're not afraid to get creative. They're not afraid to admit that they're, they're getting creative. And it's, it's really a kind of approach that's focused on finding a way to, to win minus that 11 and two year in 2019, where everything just kind of popped for Minnesota. They had a really, really, they had an elite receiving core. Um, Tanner Morgan played the best football he's played to that point as a sophomore. And you had some really great running backs beyond that year though. Minnesota, when it wins, has tended to to kind of be this way. Like, we'll come up with our plan. We'll get into these games. We'll adjust. We'll figure out what it's going to take this time. And they do a really good job of that. It's probably the the biggest potential danger for, for Nebraska in this game. There's no lack of clarity with how Minnesota wants to play. Same press conference this week. P.J. Flex said, quote, I do believe in field position. I do believe in possessing the football. It's kind of a meat and potatoes type of approach there, but they're executing it through five games. Gophers rank 10th currently in net field position at 6.4. What that means is the offense on average is starting its drives 6.4 yards closer to the goal line than Minnesota's defense has to, which is a pretty significant advantage. Nebraska right now is plus two in, in net field position, which I'd have to go back and look it up and should have done so prior to this, but I'm pretty confident this is the first time at this stage in a season that Nebraska under Frost has a positive net field position margin. So the Huskers aren't t- coming in here totally inept on that front, especially compared to where they where they'd been in the past. But you go back to last year's game. Minnesota had to basically kind of duct tape together a plan. They were down 30 30 plus players 
partially due to COVID, partially due to opt-outs and various other reasons. Their rush defense was in the bottom four or five teams in the country. There was little reason to expect. And I mean, Nebraska's season wasn't going perfectly at that point either. I think if I remember correctly, Nebraska was about a touchdown favorite at home in that game. But it was one of those where you'd seen what Minnesota had done in the games leading up to it. You felt like Nebraska had an advantage. Minnesota came in there, engineered a eight-yard edge in starting field position, and limited Nebraska's offense to 24 minutes of possession. We've talked about kind of <clears throat> game control on on previous editions of the show this year and, and how Nebraska's, well, after Illinois, clearly needed to make some improvements on that front. And since Illinois really has, um, I think that's really one of the keys to why things have looked better for the Huskers. But Minnesota is a team that consistently emphasizes those points. This is not the first time this week. Um, well, let me rephrase that. This week is not the first time I've heard Fleck talk about the importance of field position and time of possession. You know that as a consistent drumbeat in those players' ears. Last year's Minnesota-Nebraska game was straight from the Minnesota playbook or from the P.J. Fleck playbook. This year's game, if Nebraska is going to be uncomfortable for four quarters, I think needs to be as well. The Huskers have to avoid that. It's a lot easier said than done. Eric Schneider had another good quote this week. He said, quote, when an offense is going to try to hold on to the football, every play is that much more important. He went on to add that Minnesota thrives in third and one and third and two. Paints a pretty clear picture of what needs to happen on Saturday. For as good as Nebraska's defense has been this year, it hasn't kept teams off schedule as often as you'd think. Black shirts have made that up in other ways, be it third down conversions or red zone scoring percentage. Like, this is how football goes all the time. It's a multivariate equation, but still for the amount of points that Nebraska is currently giving up on defense, you'd expect the success rate to, to be a little bit better than it has been. And Minnesota is the type of team that can put that to the test. The Gophers are super sound. It's a team that prior to the season, I thought had a shot to win the West. Key injuries have made that uh, an, an unlikely outcome at this point, but the Gophers are still really comfortable in who they are. They'll get creative, as Flex said, to give themselves a shot to win. Nebraska entering this game is better than it's ever been before, in my opinion, under Scott Frost. He called the team, quote unquote, more grown up. And that's a good thing. This is a game for grownups on Saturday. The Huskers have advantages here, but in addition to the progress that they're showing quite clearly in my mind so far, the first seven games of 2021 have also shown that Nebraska hasn't totally shed its propensity to volatility. This is a game for stability. You got to stop the run. You got to be ready for whatever gadget and trick plays the Gophers cooked up during the off week. And there definitely will be some. Got to get off the field when you have a chance. 
And you got to know that exerting some control offensively really puts Minnesota in a tough spot. You could just kind of watch time of possession in this game. And it'd probably give you a pretty good idea of how things are going. Unless, you know, Minnesota's minus eight minutes in the first half, but it's got 21 or 24 points because it scored on three or four long touchdown plays. That's not really what this Minnesota offense is built to do. Nebraska is kind of its most Big Ten yet, in my opinion, and that predates the Frost era. You can go all the way back to, to 2011. They're better built to play these kind of games, but I fully expect Minnesota to to put the test to Nebraska. They're a team that's used to winning this way. Nebraska is still a team that is clearly getting better, but has also lost all four games by one score this year for whatever reasons there may be. So it's a little bit of a gut check game for the Huskers. The bye weeks here, Minnesota had one last week, had all of that extra preparation time. Nebraska is playing its eighth straight game until it gets a bye week next week. Um, makes things a little bit interesting. I think it it's always hard to tell how these things go, but I think it gives Nebraska a little bit of a, a recency bump. Like they should be pretty hungry and have a clear finish line in, in front of them. Like it's, if the approach from the Huskers is, yeah, let's go up there, take care of business first thing in the morning, quote unquote, um, first thing in the morning, at least in terms of playing a college football game goes and get home and enjoy our bye week. And then we've got four games that realistically, Nebraska could win any one of them, could win all of them, could lose all of them. That's where they're at. They've kind of put themselves in a position where people are noticing, hey, this is better than it has been. They still got to go out and do it. And Minnesota is perhaps one of the better Big Ten teams to to put that to the test because it's a little bit of a hurdle. They cleared a couple of seasons earlier under its current coaching staff. So Nebraska's a deserving favorite. It's not going to be easy. We'll see what happens on Saturday. Thanks as always for listening. If you like the show, if you like this type of breakdown, um, do your podcast chores, rate and review the show, subscribe, tell a friend about it. Be sure also to check out all of our various shows on the Hale Varsity Network. We kind of cover each of these games and just Nebraska news in general from a number of different perspectives, which I think adds value for, for people. And if you want to take the next step beyond that, think about a subscription to Hale Varsity. We publish 10 monthly issues a year, plus our annual football yearbook in June. You get access to all of our premium content online, and we'd love to see you around as a subscriber. So thanks again for listening. A Huda Media Production.